0: Our good friends at Johnny O welcome you to this episode, and if you've listened to Rich Take on Sports, then you know two things are important, sharing the impact of sports in people's lives and the Johnny O clothing brand, blending those East Coast classic styles with a SoCal vibe. I've been wearing Johnny O for several years, and now you can as well with 20% off your first order by using the promo code ARICHTAKE at johnny-o.com. Live your best life with the Johnny O Style and use promo code Take at johnny-o.com for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, host. Richmond Weaver. What time is it? This is episode 153. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. No matter where we are in life, we all have a time where we ask ourselves, What is my drive? And for Jason Donnelly, through sports, it's been a simple answer, make an impact. Coaching high school basketball would be his pathway before moving to the college ranks. And in August of 2019, Jason was named Director of Athletics at Furman University right here in Greenville, South Carolina. After he spent almost 15 years at Villanova University, serving in multiple roles within the athletic department including assistant men's basketball coach and director of basketball operations for Hall of Fame coach Jay Wright, helping the Wildcats win two national championships in 2016 and 2018. Our conversation with Jason Donnelly. Jason, thank you so much. I uh, greatly appreciate it. And I've got to make sure, though, that this podcast is nothing about basketball. That, I mean, we talk more than just basketball. Two coaches here. Do you miss coaching? I mean, well, is it before just we get like that, in your
1: blood? We got to talk about you first. So I'm oh, I'm, I'm okay. oh no, my, no, no. This is this uh, podcast, is about you now. Well, I'm doing my research on you and I, I see your picture like <laughs> the youngest guy ever that he just got out of college. You know, like, like literally, that's how young you look in a the picture. Then you go through your bio. And I'm reading everything about you, your background at Clemson, your background in coaching, which I love. And then you got to tell me about the championship ball. I need to hear about this right in the background. Uh,
0: Well, I was very fortunate just to be involved with Clemson and Mm -hmm. the Paul Journey in the football program. Mm -hmm. And it's an opportunity of mentoring a lot of the football Mm student-athletes in terms of their next chapter in life because, as we know, and I mean, you've been in athletics for a long time. You know, not everybody goes pro. Yeah. That's the problem. And what can they do to prepare themselves for the next chapter when football is done? And it might even be that they do make it to the pros, but then there's going to be a chapter where they're not playing anymore. Right. And can they set themselves up for those type of opportunities? And so just being involved with the Paul journey, when I was in medical device sales, I was able to help create some internships for some of the student athletes that might be interested in mm-hmm. medical device sales and looking at career options like that. So it was an honor getting yeah. the, the the
1: football there from that aspect. Well, I love the other Clemson paraphernalia. I love the coffee bean that's been a big inspiration for us at Furman and at Villanova Beyond. And It's one of my favorite
0: books favorite messages mm-hmm. of all time and I had the honor of having Damon West Good. as a guest here on the podcast and even John Gordon as Good. well who co-authored the book with Damon and just amazing the story mm-hmm. of how that can be so transformative yeah. in terms of you can view yourself as a coffee bean and helping change the environment instead of the environment either hardening you yep. or softening you and just what that can do and Again, a a lot of that has to go back to the coaching aspect and what coaches can do in people's lives. And again, I I
1: just, do you miss it? Well, I think it's funny because it's a great segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is the why. Yeah. Like When you look at why you do this in terms of what you're trying to get done, why you're trying to accomplish it, it's always good to look at someone's bookshelves because you can tell a lot about who they are as a person. You can look at what resonates with them. You can talk about whether it's Clemson or it's the basketball sneakers or yeah, it's you know, always going
0: to be Clemson in there
1: somewhere for me, yeah, <laughs> and I, basketball, and, and I love it. We're, we're going to get you some Furman stuff in there as well. <laughs> well, um, I did wear purple. You look good, no, purple. Yeah, it was a
0: little bit close to Furman purple.
1: You, you look good. We, <laughs> we appreciate the love, but it's it's you know for me it's the why. You know it's it's really it's what that quote there talks about is why do we have sports? What is the purpose of this all? What are we trying to accomplish with it? To me, as a leader, you know I don't really view myself. My current role as an athletic director. My past role has been basketball coach. I've done fundraising. I've done teaching. Uh, I've done administration. I've been blessed to have incredible opportunities uh, in sports and beyond in terms of the things I've done. But really, I've always looked at the genesis of my role and what my purpose is as an educator. Uh, at the end of the day, it's what is the impact that we're trying to make on young people you know, of all different you know ages. And so whether you're talking about young people as a youth, we're talking about high school, college, and even guys that are in the pros right now in terms of what they're trying to do and where you're trying to grow. And really the whole viewpoint that I have for my career has always been, what was I given as a young person? What was the impact of sports on my life? What is my responsibility in terms of my role as a leader to give back? So really, sports to me, it, it, you know, it's a metaphor for life. It's what are the different things that you're going to do uh, with sports to help have a platform, to help lead, to try to inspire, and to try to shape people's lives. So one of the things that we would talk about a lot when I was in coaching, and uh, we could talk about your coaching career as well, but we would look at at prospective student athletes. So in this case, I've done everything. I've coached high school ball, so I've recruited seventh and eighth graders. You know, I've done coached in college. Uh, you know, at Villanova with a Division One national championship program uh, to my alma mater, Division Three liberal arts school at Muhlenberg College, and then now as an athletic director, I'm still doing the same thing. We're recruiting uh, to an elite D- Division One FCS program uh, that we have at Furman. But the whole thing that I've always looked at the responsibility we have is we're gonna give you four to five years of your life that can transform the next 40 years of your life. So what are the life lessons that you're learning while you're as part of our institution? How are we treating you along that way? What type of leadership opportunities are you given and earned throughout that process? And for me, the reason that Furman is such a great fit for me personally, when I was looking at the job and the opportunity to be here, uh, I truly believe in the student athlete model. You know, To have a place that is gonna really promote the best you as a person, the best you as a student and the best you as an athlete in that order, that it's our responsibility to develop young men, young women, to have them grow to their fullest potential in terms of who they are and what they want to become, to really maximize the opportunities through education academically. And academically doesn't just mean the work that you do in a classroom. We're talking about Cole Neely, uh, who's one of our graduating football players from Furman. Yeah, it's outside um, the classroom as well. Yeah, it, It's all it's those life experiences. Life experiences. So it's all that other stuff that comes with it. And then the third part of it is, that pursuit of of being a champion as an athlete. And what does that mean for you? And we've been blessed at Firm and we we've got it all. We've got we've got a phenomenal basketball program. We've got a phenomenal football program, soccer program, uh, but we also have championship sports in a more individual way. We've got the top thirty player in women's tennis. You know, we've got Olympians, prospective Olympians in track and field, we've got three times SOCOM players a year in golf, they're going to be professional athletes. So some of the beauty of my role now is that Even though my role has changed and my current role as athletic director, coaching is every day. So to answer your question, it's staff, it's your student athletes, it's coaching up in administration, it's informing your alumni, it's, it's trying to do fundraising where you need to be. But I think the beauty of coaching is that you literally coach every day.
0: Yeah, I think that's so true and I think it's very poignant that you point that out that you know, I think I was probably asking the question more just from a basketball mm-hmm. perspective, but coaching is all the time, especially in, in, in a role like yours when you're leading teams. And, and I remember when I got out of coaching and we were at Maryland Eastern Shore and our staff got fired. And I always still joke that, well, I technically didn't get fired. Mm-hmm. The head coach got fired. My right. contract just didn't get renewed. <laughs> but in all reality, yes, our, our whole staff got fired. But Some things didn't work out where I thought I was going to be able to jump on board down at Auburn with Cliff Ellis, Mm -hmm. and it didn't. But then when I got into medical device sales, I I remember just almost it was my natural instinct to pull what I was doing Mm -hmm. in medical device sales, skill sets and traits from what I had been doing in coaching. I remember, okay, I'm recruiting now. All I'm doing is recruiting these Mm -hmm. doctors To come on this team, right? And then when I was national sales trainer, it was okay. Now I'm developing the game plan for these salespeople to go out. And then, as a district sales manager, it was okay. Now I'm the head coach Mm -hmm. and got this team that we're all
1: trying to reach this common goal. So, from your perspective, I can see it. You're always coaching. Yeah, and it's one of the things. Like one of the questions you asked me in advance is. Why a life in sports and how do you get started in this whole thing? So I think for me as a young boy, going back to five years old, first teams I was involved with, probably more when you look at the time when you turn 10 or 11, uh, you're in that middle school age, and certainly when you're in that high school age, I was just drawn to the aspect of being a part of a team. And I was drawn to the aspect of, of number one, I, I was a kid out there on my bike that was organizing games all throughout the neighborhood, going from house to house, you know, pulling guys together for for a football game. I was the guy that would set the time you know, we're meeting at the courts at this time. You know, we'll, we'll do this, whatever it took to be there, or baseball games or yeah, Jason said game. we're
0: playing today at three. got to be there, right? That, well, that, <laughs> and that,
1: all those skill sets that you learn as a young person around sports, and, and really what sports are doing is, is galvanizing the group and pulling you together through a common interest. And then what are the leadership lessons that you learn when you're a part of it? You know, what is your role for that team? You know, or sometimes you're the best player, sometimes you're the worst. You know, when you're looking at what that is, but all those things, as you talk about it, the impact of the coaches that I had in my life, the way that I looked up to them, the way that they instructed, um, I was really blessed uh, in my formative coaching years, so my young 20s, to work for the Wooten family, so Coach Morse. Coach Morgan Wooten, DeMatha High School. Um, Probably no bigger
0: name in high school basketball.
1: Naismith Hall of Fame. You know the the Naismith Hall of Fame Award. The National Player of the Year in high school basketball is the Morgan Wooten Award, um, and to work for him and it work for his son Joe. So Joe started a brand new program at Bishop O'Connell High School that I joined him on that journey. Um, but Coach Wooten, he would we every we'd work for them about six to eight weeks of summer doing camps, and every camp. He would start out with a very similar speech. The speaking points were similar, but every time he got something out of it different. But one of the things he would always say as a part of that is being a coach, because you may have been he, – now, he had professional coaches that had worked for him. He had college head coaches like Mike Bray and Pete Strickland. So he had great guys that came through. Um, then you drill it down to just a camp coach. He'd say, be the type of coach this week that you always wanted to play for. And really, I've always thought about that in terms of the roles that I'm in. Is that whether you were that coach, if you're the youngest guy on the staff, and you were finding your way, and, and what impact could you make? Maybe it's a guy at the end of that bench. You know, you might be on a staff with all these different superstars. When I'm 22 years old and I'm joining their staff, I'm by far the youngest person on the staff. And you have a moment of of doubt. You're like, what am I bringing to the table? But you begin to realize all these lessons that you learned in life. And all these skills that you learned on the court while you were playing, all these different skill sets that you're talking about that translate to business, that's what all comes through. And you go from being the youngest guy in that staff and you move up in time with what you learn and what you teach. Um, And so much of that life lesson has stayed with me the entire time. And you talk about transitioning from roles, uh, whether I was teaching and coaching, you know, at a premier high school in the country, whether I was a part of. The Villanova basketball staff as the director of operations, literally the entry-level job to get in, or whether you're the top guy in the staff to transitioning out of coaching and to getting into fundraising, to getting into administration, to getting into leadership, the lessons were really all the same. And and the way I looked at it is the way I was taught, which is you've got three different things you gotta do. When you when you take the job, you gotta learn the job. You know, you gotta go in there, you gotta be hungry, you gotta listen, you've gotta learn every aspect of the job as you go through it. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to master the job, which means you've got to get to the point that people know that you're the expert in that position. So uh, if you're the coach, then you got you got to be expert on all things around coaching that sports, whether it's football or tennis or basketball, just becoming that expert. And then the third part is you got to teach it. And, and I think that's such a big responsibility is that when you feel this sense of the reason I have this opportunity isn't just because the work I've done or our team has done, I have a responsibility to also pass it forward and to make sure anyone that's been a part of this is getting the same lessons that I was taught along the way. And really that's how I viewed my entire now, ca- career.
0: Is it the teaching aspect? I'm wondering if that's where sometimes people fall short because mm-hmm. the teaching aspect of it seems to be the hardest. Yeah. Because you can you can learn it, all of that, you can become the master, but then can you package it and communicate it in a way that you're teaching the the next group of people or your team because everybody's so different and right. how can you communicate that? So, I mean, how challenging is the teaching aspect for you at times or has I, it been?
1: I think it's very challenging. And I think one of the things when you get started in the teaching, it's almost a barrier that you got to overcome. When I was a younger coach, you'd worry, okay, if I if I learn it, I master it. I mean, I'm the best at it and I know I'm most proficient in this skill set. Teaching it, you would think that maybe you're distributing your value and you're giving away something that you had. It's it's probably the ultimate sense of humility is to get to that point where you begin to realize my responsibility to teach is so that I can get everyone up to the same speed, the same level. And then what you selfishly learn in time is that, this is kind of the practice that I've had, is that as soon as you prepare those around you to replace you, you've actually increased your worth by allowing you to take your next opportunity. Because what happens is you get to a point where you're ready for the next part of your journey and you're ready for the next part of what you're going to do next, whatever that may be, whatever God has in store for you where you're headed. Uh, But the teaching part to me is actually the most enjoyable part of it. When you get to see those around you have that growth or have that aha moment, you know, or you're bringing them along to a point where they might not have thought they could get to before. And, and coach Wright had a great, you know, line with all of us. Um, You know, you talk about it, you know, great teams are are the best teams when no one cares who gets the credit and and we operated that way with villanova and when we were performing at our peak performance which became national championship teams two times in three years and when we were raising a hundred plus million dollars and building buildings and really changing an entire university's culture not just our own programs culture it came back to that understanding that when we weren't seeking credit and we just were there to give and we believe that we were the stewards of our Of our time that that's really when you are your best self so I think the part of teaching and this is why you do this yes this is an opportunity to give back to share knowledge that others have and to really you know try to try to have your opportunity to give it back and pay it forward when you've been blessed by sports know when you're doing when you're receiving the championship ball there's a part of you where you're so uh, so unselfishly going into that process of saying I've had a lot you know you've had the opportunities whether it's been through Education, whether it's been through being a part of a team, whether it's been through success in an organization, you get to that point. You're like, "What is my responsibility to give back?" You know, and it's my time, my talent, my treasure. You know, you all get to the point. Well, sometimes not all of us have got all the treasure. You know, we're, we're not all Foster and Victor, You know, we're, we're not at that <laughs> point right. where we got you know every last resource that you want to have at your at your fingertips. But those guys work hard to get to that point. Um, sometimes it's really your time and it's your talent. Uh, in terms of giving those things back and really prioritizing how you help those that are around you.
0: Yeah, and I think there's just such a unique feeling that you have when you are giving back Mm -hmm. and you can feel that it's making a change, that it's making a difference. Sometimes it's palpable and you might not know it at first, but you you can start to feel it. And and speaking of feeling, how was the feeling winning the first national championship In 2016, under Jay Wright, but then also, and then in 2018. I mean, yeah. were you guys just the, the kings of Philly at that time? Like, you yeah. didn't have to pay for parking
1: tickets. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's funny you said it because the um, the starting center who I'd recruited was on that team. His name Dan, Daniel Ochefu. Um, we went to the White House. You know, he's up there. You know, in front of the everybody with with President Obama, and uh, President Obama. He just said this on Twitter the other day, so it just reminded me. You know, he called him a chef. You know, he had his notes down, he knew all everybody's nicknames. And um you know, he, he was actually tweeting the other day and I was laughing at it. He's like, I just landed in Philly. He goes, It is true, once you won a national championship you don't pay for anything. anymore. You know? and, he, <laughs> and the story of that program is really it's one of the most unbelievable stories because you you look at what it took to make that make that happen. Yeah. So why um, you say that? Well, so so coach Wright, Jay Wright, my my former boss there, he wrote a book about this um, with Mike Sheridan, who was our our director of media relations. Those two had all the content, um, and the story really is about it's about Villanova, it's about Father Rob Hagan, our our team mm-hmm. chaplain, um, but it's just, it's a little bit of a redemption story. You know, one of the things that we went through. I was fortunate to be there at 50, for fifteen years, in really. Three to five different roles, you know, in terms of different things that I did for that program uh, over the time, and, and you've got a, a Jay Wright, who is now in the Naismith Hall of Fame, just got inducted this no, past is Just
0: fantastic, well-, well
1: deserved, probably long overdue, to be honest with you. And he would, he would say the opposite. <laughs> yeah, I know he <laughs> like, would. Like, yes, his humility and, and um, his sense of of you know entitlement to anything is just it just really is a unique, very unique, dignified, classy leader. Um, but when I got to join the program, he was this young, upcoming coach, energetic, coming out of Hostra. and it was really, we had nothing to lose and everything to gain. So we were fighting and scrapping and competing for every last piece of what we thought we had to do to to build a program. Um, and I was very fortunate to be a part of that journey while he was building and building into success. And then over the course of that time, we achieved transformational success. In 2009, we, we had a team led by Scotty Reynolds and Dante Cunningham and these Great, scrappy, tough nosed players from New York to DC uh, that led us to a final four. And when you get to a final four for a Villanova, and they hadn't been back, they hadn't been there since 1985 when they won the national championship with Broly Massimino, there's different things that happen to your organization. You know, you you get bigger than you thought you might have been very quickly. The amount of things that you have to do around that program get a lot bigger. And, And one of the things, one of the lessons you learn in coaching is that you get access to players that would have otherwise not come to your school because now that you've arrived, they want to be a part of that. And what guys were looking at with the program is that here was an opportunity for them to not just go to Villanova and have national success and take that and go on to the NBA, but they, they just began to look at, like, what am I getting out of this process? Not wrongly. They, they just That's how they were brought in. And Coach went through a process of reflection, and went through a process of looking at what the program had grown to, not unintentionally, there was decisions that were made along the way to try to make the program a national championship program. We made some changes in decision-making, or made some changes in terms of recruiting, or we made some changes in terms of program management along the way, that in the end, we became a lesser program. We weren't as strong as we intended to be, um, and it had an adverse effect because we'd lost our way a little bit. We'd lost our culture, our sense of identity. And he did the hardest part of this, which was he looked himself in the mirror and said, this isn't what I want to be as a coach. This isn't the type of team I want to have on the floor. And this isn't the type of way I want to represent Villanova. And um, we went through that journey with him where he tore it all back down and he built it all back up. And what he did is he went back and he built it up with character. You know, he talked about players that, you know, it's about what's on the front of your jersey, not the back. He began to really look at the type of families that we brought in. He began to look at what is the mission? what are we really trying to accomplish, which was to get the type of student athletes that really valued the degree, the importance of being an alumnus, the importance of playing villanova basketball that's a term that gets thrown around, but there was something that there was something that meant that to that and the redemption journey started from having all the way getting to the top and almost plateauing at a final four in two thousand nine to having to rebuild the whole thing and then build it up to being a national champion in sixteen so
0: was there ever time that you were Questioning oh, yeah. the
1: reset button that oh, yeah. he's pushing. Yeah, I mean, he. There was a point. We had one year, and I was talking about it recently with our football coach Clay Hendricks. He had a tough year this year because they just weren't they weren't positioned. The players weren't positioned the way they needed to be, not intentionally because the circumstances beyond his control. Um, and I had to remind him. I said, Hey, I work for a Hall of Fame coach, and we had a we had a year we didn't have a point card in the position we needed him to be, and we weren't as good coaches, you know, during that one year. But there was a point of period of time where. You know, different points where he was getting, you know, lured away. People were trying to hire him to other jobs, and he's never left. Um, but there was a point that I was like, we're going to get ourselves fired. I mean, we, we were, the expectations were so high, and we weren't able to reach those expectations. You but You actually felt that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we all did. I mean, there was, there was a year where we began to worry about where is the direction of the program headed. And that was the point. It was funny about it. We'd already made the change before then. He'd already had that aha moment. Of not only am I going to change this, but this is the way I'm going to change it. But he told us he goes, I'm going into this season. We were, we, we, they have a winning record. He's the all-time winningest coach, at Villanova, Hall of Fame. There's a year in there, 13 and 19. He told us he goes, I'm, I'm breaking this all down, and, and it's going to affect all of you. You know, it's going to be a hard year, and I need you to know I'm going to fight every battle, I'm going to take on every challenge, um, I'm going to do it my way. He would tell us all the time because when you get to a point and a position in your career where you're responsible for it, the most important thing you gotta do is you gotta do it your way. Even if your way is wrong, you gotta do it your way because you gotta be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, this is the way I believed in." And he, he took that year with all of us, said, hey, this is gonna be rough. This is gonna be hard. You guys are gonna suffer through this. It's gonna affect your career. I mean, it's gonna affect careers. It's gonna affect everything, but this is the right way to do it. And his instinct and his values and his, his mission, what he did is he rededicated himself to the mission of what we were trying to accomplish. And he got back to the purpose of being an educator, being a father, being the the right recruiter. So he he basically said, all these other things that are distractions for us, I've got to push them to the side. I've got to get back into my lane and really focus on the things that are most important, which is the team, our staff, and his family. Everything else, secondary. Everything else that was getting in the way, he's like, i got to get back to these values. And he dove into that process, and we went through that rough year. But the result of that is that we were able to reset the locker room. We were able to get the right people around the room that needed to be there. It wasn't anyone's fault. Just sometimes people come into an organization and they might not have the right process to why they came there. We were able to change the locker room. We were able to rebuild with the values. And when you when you build with a foundation, and in this case, the the run to become a national champion in 2016 happened in the summer of 2012. Because when the new class came in. Which was the Ryan Archdiaknodes, you know, MVP of the most outstanding player of the Final Four, the Daniel Chafus, and walk-ons that were part of that team. The buy-in from the rest of the team when you start with your values is where is where it begins. So what he did is he reestablished the values, he reestablished the mission, refocused on what that was. So from that point on, that team went back to the NCAA tournament. You know, went to the. You know, the rant, we, we would lose every weekend in the first weekend, but we were going back and having success. We won the Big East. We did all these things that people didn't think were possible anymore. We reset the whole thing. And then the hardest part about it is we got to a point where my best friend called me and he said, uh, how are you doing? I said, things are great. You know, we're number one, We won the Big East, you know, we're, we're in tops, top five in the country. And he said, what do you think? I said, it's ironic because it only it goes back to one weekend you know, like if you get through the That's round right. of 32 and you're in the round and you get to sweet 16 you're a success if we don't we're a bust and this is in 2015 and we lost in that round in Pittsburgh and this is it's a really this is a big part of the story that he went through but when we lost uh, one of our student-athletes who i would recruited Darren Hilliard who's a phenomenal lefty played pro he went up there on a the podium he owned it and he owned it for the team because we didn't get it done because but these are my brothers and I believe in, in them and I believe in what we're trying to do here but what we're gonna own this and I remember going back to the hotel with coach and the team and, and we had this great fan base and they're all in the hotel lobby and no one really knows what to do because when you lose you don't know what's next you, you like you don't know what's next the fans don't know you don't know how to act because it it's one of those it's a heartbreaking thing the seasons just ended and uh, we're walking up the stairs you get up on the stairs to everyone because I know you're disappointed I'm disappointed too we didn't get this done. We know what we need to do. Stick with us. We've got a plan. We're going to do it. And from that point forward, it it's just one of those lessons that I've learned in life is that when you own, you know, we went through some difficult decisions at Furman last year. We went through some uh, some things that people did not want to go through. They don't yes, want to talk did. about it. But one of the things I remember from that lesson is I have to own this. I'm not necessarily the reason why we got here, and I'm not necessarily the reason why we're going through this, but it's it's my responsibility to own How this goes it's my responsibility to take care of the people around me both the people in my care and the people that do care and that's what he was basically doing that day well that that set that set the tone that next team meeting with the team where he brought everyone in and talked about accountability and was very specific here's the things we did well here's the things we didn't do well and that preparation Well, you get to 2016 the next year and, and you've got a leader like Ryan arch and you got a freshman like Jalen Brunson who's playing with the Mavericks now. Arch is playing with the Bulls. I mean, and, and it wasn't. It's feel different. Well, the, the team wasn't built to be an NBA team, mm-hmm. but the the work ethic, the development, there's just a sense of confidence and purpose. And, and the game I'd point to like, we went through the whole season, again, win the Big East. And now we're in Brooklyn. We're in the NCAA tournament. We're in the round of 32, and we're playing Iowa. And all the pressure is on us. The whole nation thinks. Ton know, of pressure. Ton of I remember pressure. Remember this: top top five in the country, and we're in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn's like our home turf. All our people there. You can't even like tickets. You couldn't even get a ticket to get in the game. And, and I just remember Arch. He walked up to the corner of the crowd. It Makes me emotional. Think about it. Corner of the crowd stood there, looked into the fans, and basically did one of these things. He's like, "I got this." He just wasn't going to let us lose because there's when you go through that up and that down and that hurt. And every play he made that game, the dives, the loose balls, the intensity, it, it's its the example of leadership is that when you have someone that's going to put themselves out there and they're not afraid to fail and they've got a plan and they put the work in and they've got the fundamentals, well, as soon as we got past that game, and that was all him taking, hey, I, I'm going to own this. Whatever happens here, I'm coming out, I own this. You know, from that point forward, now we're in a Sweet 16. Now we're playing – Kansas, and now we're playing Oklahoma. <laughs> and everything else just took care of itself because once you eliminate the pressure in life, once you get to the point of great, and I think this is the beauty of sports, when you, when you put the work in, when you're char- number one, when your character's strong, when your health is good, when you prioritize those things, your personal being and your personal values, and then you combine that with talent and work ethic and a plan and a willingness to overcome, that's what that team was like. And you know we're going through this process where it's the greatest shot in the history of college basketball. You know we're we're playing North Carolina. We're up ten. They came running back. They, they tie the game up on a crazy three from Marcus Page. Four point seven seconds left, and everyone that was a part of the program knew the play that we were running. It's the same play that Scotty Reynolds beat Pitt in the Elite Eight in two thousand nine. So in that it, huddle, I mean, everybody's saying, "All right, this is the play we're running." Yeah, and and, and at this point now, now I've officially come off the bench. I'm now an administrator, yes. I'm now a fundraiser, we've got a brand new athletic director. So my role had changed, but I was in charge of all the stuff around it. Um, but I knew exactly, I'm sitting next to one of our sportscasters, I'm right there on the floor. My job was to get the president on the floor if we won. And um, I told him, this is what we're gonna run. This is the play we're gonna run, this is how we're gonna look and how you're gonna do it. But what the guys in the huddle had was a sense of confidence and a sense of purpose. And they came into the huddle saying attitude, which was, which was Coach rights, you know, don't get too high, don't get too low. They refocused him in that moment. They knew what they needed to do. They knew how they needed to execute. And it's it's the ultimate when you go through that process because when you're not worried about winning or losing, you're just doing what you're supposed to do. And you understand how you get to that point. They ran the same play they ran in practice all yeah, the time. But it was one but, one of the most perfectly run plays But the amazing, in a
0: pressure moment. you know, and Unbelievable. It's unbelievable, but I think it goes back to second nature to yeah. him.
1: But the thing about it, the in, the inside story on is that Arch who came off the ball screens in the middle of the floor at any point he could have pulled up and shot a three, you know, or he could have done what Scotty did, which he turned the corner and drive to the rim in 2009. He ran through and he did a play that they never ran in practice. He flipped it back to Jenkins and set basically somewhat of a moving screen as he came through as the ball handler. That never happened in practice. That's the fifth option. So they trusted it. They knew what they were trying to do in that process. And to go from being the guy that could be the hero, you know, take that shot to being the guy that makes the assist, that's the story. When you get to that point, this goes back to the teaching. When you get to that point, when you trust the people you're working with, when you believe in the greater mission, when you're trying to get things done together, the beauty of that play is that he, did, he was unselfish and, and gave it up to Chris, and Chris hits that shot. You know, it's an iconic shot. And the thing you asked about also was that what was the difference between 16 and 18? One of the things you deal with, you have the internal. You know how do you feel about it? We felt great about it. The the team certainly was rewarded through that process. You know, ticker tape parades in Philly on Broad Street and national recognition and and everyone that was a part of that team got theirs. I mean, guys got promoted, to head coaching jobs, and I'm an AD. I'm not. I'm not. I know I was a part of that, and that led to these opportunities. Guys went to the NBA. But even within our external community, it was like, hey, this great moment in 16, just kind of like it was in 85. But what was it really? What was really cool is that the team that came back in 18 that won the national championship that was dominant in that tournament. We, you know, The 16 team won on, won on a shot at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. The 18 team is one of the greatest teams of all time because of the, the dominance they had and also the spread between all the games and how well they won. What people began to realize in 18, the team was the same. The feeling of accomplishment, all those things, was the same. The journey was the same, sense of achievement, trying to be the best team you can be at the end of the season. It was the same goal every year. But the outside community began to say, okay, what is the special sauce at Villanova? And it was really cool. I had a a lunch with a trustee who would said this to me. He was a very perceptive trustee. And he said the really cool thing about 16 was the win. Great for the program, great for everyone involved. The really cool thing in 18 was that people began to say, what is Villanova? doing right? What are they doing right in admissions? What are they doing right in academics? What are they doing right in fundraising? What is, the, what is it this larger mission? Because the second win became a transformational win for the university because people began to say, okay, what's that institution doing really well? So 16 was transformational for the basketball program, but 18 was transformational for the university because it put them on the map in a whole nother way. And the segue to Furman, that's the kind of stuff that we're trying to do at Furman winning a national championship probably unlikely in men's basketball it's one of the hardest things you could possibly do but being in the ncaa tournament and having the opportunity to be successful and take the next steps in our transformational journey it's the same thing with our football program having had a blueprint of, of winning a national championship in 89 knowing what it takes as an academic school knowing the challenges not being thwarted by that but being able to push through you know one of the things that we're doing to speak to the larger piece is that taking that model of, of the culture, the character, the commitment, the attitude, the energy, the enthusiasm for what you're trying to do. And you're trying to roll it into 18 sports and position all 18 sports with an opportunity to build, build the best people they can build, the best students they can build, the best teams they can build and compete for championships to try to be your best self when you go out there. And that's just a fun thing to do. Well, you have a lot of opportunities uh, as far as what you're
0: talking about, that whole teaching aspect and trying to get everybody aligned all in this one common goal, you know, from that perspective. And I I think it also showcases what you're talking about from 16 to 18 and even from 2009 Mm -hmm. and then getting to 16 and 18, just having to hit that reset button just shows you that how important foundation is Mm -hmm. and how hard it is to win, to reach that pinnacle and that ultimate goal and then stay there and but if you can stick to those principles those foundations that you have that can create those opportunities where you might have faltered because you didn't have those and i know even from your perspective just at Furman with all of the the challenges because it is a great academic school and so how can you blend that in with the athletic right. opportunities. So, how do you do that? And I guess even before that, why Furman?
1: Yeah. So, Bob, Bob Rich and I, the first part of the question, bounce us around all the time. He reads a ton. Oh, he does. I had him yeah. on the podcast as yeah. well, and he, he told me, you got to start
0: committing 10 pages a day. Yep. You do that for 30 days, that's a 300 page book. Yeah. So, do
1: it. <laughs> and he, he's very methodical with that, and, and he, he's a re- he's a lifelong learner. Yes, um there, that's a lot of similarities I saw with, with Coach Wright. Is that he was constantly itching to learn. Was bringing in CEOs outside uh, of basketball. He was bringing in people that had a different business approach to learn from them to see the similarities. Because at the end of the day, is what you're talking about before is that coaching can be anything. You can. It, you know, you can be in healthcare. It's in every aspect of life. Right. It really is. So it's your. It comes back to your values. It comes back to what you're committed to and. And that was, that's one of the things that Bob will talk about a lot. And He, he follows Clemson football very closely. And we're, we're looking at the Clemson football model. Uh, but one of the things he talks about is the difference between being committed and being convicted, you know, in, in terms of what it is that you're really trying to accomplish. And for us at Furman, we're, we're attempting to be convicted with a plan of what it takes to get the recognition that Furman needs in terms of where it is. I think when I was looking at Furman, I'm saying, hey, this, this place is awesome. You know, it's the number one private school in South Carolina. Got an amazing campus. It's got a. It's got one of the top cities in the country. One of the top ten growing cities anywhere in the nation. Wall Street and I Journal. I love the golf course there too. Golf course is great. <laughs> so we could do that. But it's. It, it had all. Furman has every thing you want to have. It's got history. It's got tradition. Uh, it's got alumni that are engaged. They're passionate about Furman. And the one thing that Furman's lacking right now is brand recognition. And you get the brand recognition academically athletically in admissions when you have that opportunity to have that transformational moment so for me Furman, it was two reasons number one i've got a wife from the south and we always had a goal in our conversations to try to have an opportunity to raise our children in the south near their near her family near her, their grandparents uh, so that was attractive number one coming from the north the northeast guy but the second reason was the potential of what Furman can be uh, the opportunities for what we can do and We're not going to be Clemson football, and we're not even trying to take that on. That's not our goal. Clemson football here is like the Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles are. Philadelphia, it's like a pro team. you know. But it's a model that you look at. What is their success? What is their sustainability? What is their values? What are the things that they did to invest? We've got to think the same way about Furman in our known niche. We've got to get to the point where we become Greenville's team because of the way that we commit to Greenville and through community service through activation of different partnerships, through being, you know, the the definition of success, people say all the time, and what does success look like? Success for Furman will will look like when you're walking down Main Street one day and all of a sudden you're walking up and down the street and you look in the windows and you see Furman gear and you see people walking up and down wearing Furman or they got that Diamond F. When people begin to identify with the institution and the values of the institution and the mission of the institution – through your athletic programs is what transformational success looks like. And for me, I've got great coaches like like Bob Ritchie and Clay Hendricks and Doug Allison. And I've tried to explain to them too, like the success for you, transformational success will be when you can't go out to dinner without someone stopping you to talk to you about Furman. You know when you when you walk into a restaurant and you can't go anywhere uh, in Greenville because all of a sudden all people want to talk about is, is your basketball program, your football program, your soccer program. Track and field program, all the different successes that you have, that's transformational success. And I think part of the reason that I was a good fit for Furman is is I lived that before this. You know, we had gotten to a point as a family, we couldn't go out to dinner on the main line. You know, I couldn't go anywhere on the main line without running people that I knew or was associated with or that was connected to the university. We would go on vacations away from the Jersey Shore to just have some peace. So my wife could say, okay, let's take a break, you know, from everything that goes on around Villanova. But the values at Furman, you know it, it, it's the same template of what we were trying to achieve when we brought it Villanova from Duke and and Butler's borrowing it from Villanova and when we're going to have a plan of how do you say how do you take and this is where I love our coaches like they embrace the academic challenges. Sometimes people complain about them like when you look when people rate jobs ad jobs, they'll rate the lower academic standards as a better job. We flip it the other way we want Student athletes that are gifted. We want student athletes that will push themselves. You know, our, our women's lacrosse team was an example of this. I mean, they're they wanted the championship in their sport and they've got the highest academic achieving students that are winning all these awards because they're they're trying to be the best person, the best athlete, the best student they can be. That, that's really the ultimate mission here is how do we produce the best? And it starts with academics is that you want a student that says, Hey, if I get that degree. The value of that degree for me for my lifetime, it goes back to the whole reason why we do this. The next 40 years of my life will be enriched as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as as a member of an organization. And I think the best thing we can do through education is to inspire. We, we've got a chance to really make people feel excited about what they can do with their life and to not feel any sense of boundary in terms of what they want to do. And You know when you get out of school you don't always necessarily know exactly what you want to do You know some people come out. They know they're pre-law. They know they're pre-med They're going to business school. Some people know exactly what they're going to do The beauty of a liberal arts education is it's intended to give you all the skill sets that when you do come out And you get to that point that you're ready to take the next steps You can do anything because your skills are so transferable so that's that's why we get excited about a Furman and, and that's why the coaches that we have believe in Furman because they know that the opportunity they're giving their student athletes is a transformational opportunity. They get a chance to take them from 18 to 22 and change their lives and to better them for the rest of their lives. And I think for those of us like you and me, where you've been blessed with opportunities, you know, and and God's given us a path to do things, it's really our responsibility to figure out what it is that we're giving back. That's why you're doing this. Uh, I hope
0: so. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know what I'm always doing at times, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to figure it out
0: from your perspective. Had you always known you wanted to be in sports? Did, that you wanted to be a coach or athletic director? I mean, were that were those things that you thought about?
1: No. <laughs> you know, I, uh, um, I thought about recently because, you know, I'm raising our three children, and they're unique and different. You know, as I look at them, and my oldest is not in the sports. You know, it doesn't, doesn't resonate with him. It's not his thing. Um, never has been. I don't, I don't think it will be. Um, but there's so much of me that I see in him the different interests that he has, the different interests that I had as a younger person. When i when I was a younger person, I sports was not a part of that that pull. You know, it, sports, I love them. I, I, I could tell you everything about the nineteen eighty seven Mets, the nineteen eighty seven Yankees. I could tell you everything about the Celtics and the Knicks. I could tell you everything uh, about the Giants, you know, of the nineteen eighties and the NFL football. Like it I was enthralled with sports, but sports to me was family. You know, being a part of a team and having that sense of connection and having those opportunities to play, I loved it. Uh, I didn't know I wanted to have a career in sports until the very end of college because I was going through this educational opportunity saying, okay, what else do I want to do? And I was getting offered really good jobs in other fields. Um, Some of which sometimes like maybe I should have done that, (laughs) but it was, there were great opportunities in sales, you know, and, and, and great opportunities in other industries that I I could have pursued. Um, I got the coaching bug working camps. You know, my, my college coach, who's still one of my best friends today, brought me to a camp. It was the Morgan Wooten camp. And I I began to see and feel what this, what this life was like and the opportunities that came with it. Uh, And the moment I was sold is I went down to watch the Matha high school. I was a senior in college um, play in the the city title game at Coalfield House. So there's like 15,000 fans at a high school game and their whole roster is going to the NBA. I mean, they're all high major college players. And I just, there was something that just got to me. I said, I love this. I love the, the togetherness. I love the teamwork. I love the competition. I love the ability to compete at the highest possible level. Um, I love the ability to push, you know, go through that process. Uh, so when I got out of school, I, I didn't know exactly where this was going to lead, but I got offered a job coaching in Washington D.C. and just fell in love with the opportunity. Now, I wasn't motivated by money; I was motivated by opportunity. I was well, motivated at that time, by that Yeah, you definitely were going to be motivated by no, money. No, <laughs> I had I had none of it, and I could I could have cared less. It didn't, you know. I I, I was very blessed to have an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than myself, and. I began to look at my life in five-year increments so okay this is a great five-year opportunity uh, to to learn to master to teach and by the point where i got ready to go i got offered that opportunity to leave and go to villanova and have a phenomenal transformational opportunity uh, but then within that organization tried to do the same thing learn master teach you know continue to move up and on and you know sometimes it comes up from now people say to me hey did you want to be an ad i was like no you know this this wasn't the path that i was Planning for this this was a part of my value system taking over there was a point for me in coaching Where I went from loving coaching being good at it having success To having a family, you know And getting to that point with my wife and I, I had two young children And I grew up in a single parent home. My mother raised my sister and I And my value system was it was always more important to me to be a, a better husband and a father Than it was to be a great coach and I began to look at the sacrifices associated with that um, and yeah, I was coaching, coaching
0: life is not all glamour. No.
1: Not at all. And especially I especially at that level. Yeah. And, and Coach Wright gave me an opportunity to make a transition and, and we I was very fortunate. The athletic director who's currently at Villanova, Mark Jackson, had been at USC. He'd worked with Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll. He was part of those great football teams of Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart. He's he was a huge part of it. And he went through a similar journey where his life, his faith, his family his values really took over, and, and he's the AD there now, and he's amazing. And I began to say, hey, this is a life that I can live where I can make an impact on all of our teams. And the thing I love about Mark, he was so fired up about the students' success. And so and, that, and that's the type of things I've tried to bring to Furman, which is to be more excited about their success than you are about your own. You know, To be more excited about what they're doing academically, what they're doing on the field. Um, I think the beauty of being an athletic director is you're there with them and the good and the bad. No, you're you're there at the start of the season when there's great hope, and you're there at the end of the year when they lose that last game and they're heartbroken, and you've got a chance with these programs to really build something special. And I think the beauty of being on this side of the administrative side is I don't I'm not limited to just one team. I I have a chance to work with 18 great programs, and to work with phenomenal head coaches who are motivated and loving and care. Um, and really, my job is is to have a strategic plan and to take a 30,000 foot view and to guide the department where it needs to go and work really hard at, at generating revenue and resources and philanthropy and positive outcomes for our program. And then my job is to guide it and have them do the rest you know, and have them to be great coaches with great support from our administrators. So again, like when I look at Furman, I was like, we can do this, there's something there. Now we've got our challenges. You know, We went through some really difficult challenges in COVID, went through some really difficult challenges with re- regards to sports profile. Uh, things I never anticipated, you know, coming into the job that we'd have to go through.
0: Yeah, who would have ever thought that you would take an athletic director job and then mm-hmm. basically, whatever six, seven,
1: eight months later, we went through a the pandemic. Worst. Yes. yes, yeah,
0: and that's you why can I, prepare yourself for that.
1: Yeah. And I was referencing earlier that's the the beauty of your peers. I was referencing this this national ads call we have on Wednesday afternoons, and um, one of the really cool things of this industry is that there's a consultant who works with a number of people around the country who's a good friend and he works for everyone from the the pac-12 schools to the, the the clemson's to the stanford's to the villanova's to the to the oregon's they're all a part of it um, and i was invited to be a part of a conversation for a year week in week out where all these real contemporary issues everything from from financial distress to pandemic to vaccines to racial unrest to all these cutting-edge topics being talked about in an open forum an hour a week And I learned so much as a fly in the wall, you know, being in that room, little Furman, we were by far the smallest school that was there. um, But I had a chance to learn from these great leaders. And the thing that I saw the most in them is just how much they truly cared. You know, that, you know, sometimes as administrators, everybody's got a different style. These people truly cared about the students, about their staff, about their coaches, about their welfare, um, about their fans, about their alumni. Um, And I think that's the beauty of, of college sports is that it's a community that's out there that's intended. We're all trying to do the right thing. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. And, and you know, you, you go through this different process. And, but there is more to it than the wins and the losses. You know, you, everyone wants to win. Everyone no, needs to win, but a lot more. A lot more there. And I think Furman's the kind of place that embraces that. Now, we want to win. Of you know, course.
0: <laughs> we, we want to go to the
1: NCAA tournament in basketball. We want to win a national championship in football. And it's not at all costs and it's with values in mind and, and really what we're trying to do big picture but I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff when you look at what your role is what what's your responsibility your responsibility is some people they need to be pushed forward because they've got great opportunities in life and they got to do more with their opportunities some people just need some support and some structure so what what is it that guidance that you're giving there and again a great college education opportunity to be a part of a sports team a great family network and alumni for life those are the type of things that really help you. So I think the things that mattered the most, the values, the relationships, the honesty, the sincerity, asking for help when I needed it as opposed to when I wanted it. I think it it it, it got me to the point where I am now, which is exactly where I wanted to be. So it's it's one of those things where was I too stubborn at times? I think sometimes the stubborn is a part of your drive. You know, I, I think you look at any any great athlete or leader, there there's something inside of their DNA that says, What's gonna let me push further? There's just something in me and, and sometimes I gotta apologize for it because 'cause I'm not gonna you know, like people at Firm and like, man, he he's ready to go. And he's gonna do <laughs> it right now and he's gonna go and he's gonna push. And but, you know, there's something inside of you that says, What is your drive? What is pushing you to succeed? What is pushing you to to motivate others to do it? So that that's a part of that. You know? So do you
0: think you're motivated more by trying to reach a level of success that you have, you know, internally, or is there also some aspect you're motivated to prove people wrong?
1: I I think I'm just motivated to make an impact. Like I I think, you know, I want to, I want to help people along the way. I want to help my staff. I want to help our team. I want to help our coaches. Um, I don't even know if it's something proving anything, if, if that makes sense. Um, you know, one of the best compliments that that uh, Coach Wright ever gave me, he was down in D.C. recruiting, and he ran to someone that knew me. To this day, I don't know who who it was, and uh, he said, "Hey," and he called me JD. He said, Cause I ran to a guy and I said, hey, JD, that guy's a self-made man.' You know, I mean, that that's a great compliment. When you, when you get to that point in your life where it's the content of your character, you know, it's it's it, you know what what do people who know you think about you? What is the work that you've done?" what was the impact that you made that you made and you know for me in life it, it's not perfect I'm, I'm not you know everyone's got challenges you go through but i'd say 99 percent of the people that i've come into contact with legit guy works his tail off gonna do the right things high integrity cares you know i think if you you know you look you think about what those things are and really the only people that really matter to me in this whole thing is you know what do your wife and kids think about you? what is god what 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 is what is it that you did with your life that he with the gifts he gave you to do it so um I don't think it's some as much to try to prove anything. I think it's more along the lines of of just being the best me I can be and, and that's a challenge in itself sometimes,
0: yes. sometimes right oh, okay. we battle ourselves a lot to, yeah. you know in terms of how we view things and obviously there's also you go through. Uh, an evolution as you go through different experiences and yeah. age you know and all of that and just even how you evolved from the coaching viewpoint and mm-hmm. then how family was so important do you think some of that also was as you're you know having kids and you know, wanting to spend time with them oh yeah do you think there was an aspect of because you didn't have yes. father yeah. that that really was magnifying that yeah. i want to be in their lives that because was, as you and i talked about earlier as well with my three they're all about to be in college two of them are already in college and yeah. now i've got a
1: senior in high school it
0: goes by fast
1: yeah. yeah it was definitely a driving force for me um we the work we were doing at villanova came you know, the sacrifices were there you know like it, it's hard to understand um successful organizations people go above and beyond and they do it not out of a sense of obligation. They do it out of a sense of responsibility. They just they do it in a way that I'm I'm gonna make sure this place is successful. I'm not gonna let anybody down. I'm gonna push forward in terms of what you do. That's how we viewed our time there. And um, and coach was really clear. Like when we were coming into it, this is what my expectations are. You know, and this is this is the type of things. And what was really unique in the job process, guys that were hiring me, the Eddie Pinkneys and the Pat Chambers and the Brett Gunning's of the world, they tried to talk me out of it. And they try to make it sound crazy and <laughs> and i've actually used that subsequently when i'm hiring people i, I hope you know what this is and i, I hope you know what we're going to do here and what we're trying to accomplish to make sure people know the sense of 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 what we're asking and to me what, commitment and conviction and what they're trying to tell me said, so guys you're trying to scare me out of this this excites me <laughs> this is what i want to do now i also had to be mindful i was married you know and it, and it was appropriate to to give that balance back to my wife that as a coach I wasn't able to do, just because of my sense of commitment to the program, how far, I was how deep I'd gone in terms of being a part of it. When we started having kids, it really came back to me, that, that comes back to that father and husband part. What is my responsibility? What do I need to give back to them? And I went from working seven days a week to working six, you know, and I went from being gone all the time to being around, but um, the change out of coaching, the biggest thing I've noticed is the sense of ownership of my time. When you're a coach and this is what our coaches is living through your time is the team's time that's right you know it's when they're available it's when you need to recruit it's when when they need you um i remember being in a movie theater one time in our center that you know he something happened he must have broke up with his girlfriend he, he was calling me and i said sweetie we got to go she goes, we're in the middle of a movie i, said, I know <laughs> i said we got a crisis i got to go i mean those are things people don't believe or calls in the middle of the night the things you got to deal with the the unbelievable lengths you go to in recruiting and and the energy you put into that and you know all the things there's a lot of sacrifices that come with to be a successful coach you have got to be willing to sacrifice and your family's got to be willing to make that sacrifice with you and I got to a point I just wasn't I didn't want to put them through it you know I'd got to a point where I wanted to have the ability to control a little bit more ownership of my life I wanted to have the chance to give back um, and again you go back to you know what are they going to remember you of I, I didn't want them to be the point that i was an absentee father i can notice the difference in my oldest two and my youngest in terms of how they view me my oldest two are still old enough that they were around when i wasn't around all the time my youngest who's just turned five he notices when i'm not around because for his part of his life i've been around more than i was before so it's a really cool thing that relationship that dynamic where when i am gone he's like hey what where is he? When's he coming back? As opposed to the other two, I, he's just gone again, <laughs> you know. And and that's not what I wanted to have my relationship be with my kids or be around my family. So, but God bless him. That that's why I think, you know, you talk about leadership. I think you've got to go through different life moments. You do, because I you can picture how it is. Like I, I you know, my staff this week. I, I told them all. To, I told everyone in our department. Um, everybody's off. Work from home. Keep your phones on. Everybody needs a break. We just came out of a semester, we just did 18 sports in the same semester, all at the same time. Crazy. So I remember being a part of staff and coach coming, hey, everyone's off, go. I need you all to take some time off. I need everyone to take a break right now. And it doesn't mean everyone's taking the break. I mean, they're like, what about you? I said, I got me. You know, I got stuff I've got to do. But for them to have a sense of, like some work-life balance, I think is really, really important. The longer you do it in this business, and I think that's the biggest change the guys that are there now at Villanova versus when I was there, they've said, hey, coach has really gotten more balanced. You know, he he and his journey learned how to, the simplest thing is Sundays. We used to practice every Sunday, and they'd be long days, and they would always be when the Eagles were on. Well, at some point, he began to realize the opportunity to watch the Eagles with his family, you know, with his wife and his kids was something that he began to value more than practice. So it wasn't that practice wasn't as important but maybe they practice first thing in the morning on a Sunday, as opposed to doing right in the middle of the day, where you just took the whole day. So I think we all go through a journey. Like he, you know, he's made those adjustments in his career that have allowed him that balance. So I think, you know, when you think about everybody talks, what's the most important word, you know, in leadership and, and, and in business? It's balance. You know, you've got to find that appropriate balance of your time, your energy, your your emotions, all those things to be balanced. And this, the person I am today is exactly the person I want to be for my family, for, for my wife, but I'm in to learn in stage two. Like I, there's a tremendous amount of growth that I'm going through right now. Um, we talk about that learn, master, teach. I'm trying to get to the master stage. You know, I, I want to be the best athletic director has ever been at, at Furman and there's been some great ones, but I want to be the best. And, and that's a part of my own drive. And then once I get to that point, I want to teach it. You know, and I want to give back to the people that will come behind me and then I want to, I want to figure out what's next you know I want to look at what those opportunities are and, and what it's gonna be and that's the beauty of life is that if you don't if you got a plan but you're not committed to the rigorous part of like I got to be this at this age or I got to do that I don't that doesn't motivate me I'm just happy I'm alive you know when you get to that point where I'm gonna make an impact I'm gonna be where I am and do what I do and then see what happens next that's to me that's that's exciting and fun very much so And as we're wrapping up you've shared a lot
0: of wisdom and you even talked about the importance of a word like balance I'm huge proponent of words of wisdom Mm -hmm. it can be phrases mottos quotes or just even life advice has there been any type of that for you that you've leaned on that you've learned you've been around a lot of wise people uh, and and I, I think you understand the value of that. But is there any type of words of wisdom that has meant a lot to you?
1: No, it's funny you said it because uh, when I'm thinking about it, the first thing I think is my, my wife says you always butcher you know, great <laughs> quotes. She goes, I, I either, do the same. I yeah. can't
0: remember any of them, you know, she's like, <laughs> but I look,
1: love them all. I read them all. Love them all, and, and um, you know, I think about Coach Wooten. he would talk about you know nothing great's accomplished without enthusiasm. And uh, I've taken that to heart. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, just being enthusiastic about the success of your teams and the success of others and the success of those around you. Just just having that sense around you. Um, I've been really blessed. I mean, I, the teachers, the coaches, the administrators, the presidents, um, the alumnus, you know, the parents. I, I've, I've lived a life of great opportunity to be around some tremendous leaders and people of character. Uh, so I feel very fortunate um, the thing that that moves me the most that I, I actually found this when I was in college I was one of my jobs when I was in school I was I was the building supervisor at the life sports center, which was my work-study job when I was in college and Basically, you, you know, you check people in and make sure everything was was going smooth you would run the, the, the building at night long story short But in this office, I found um, the optimist creed it was up on the wall and the Optimist Creed is is um, it's a series of sayings about what what life is and how you view life, and, and I've really taken that to heart. I mean, it's one of these things where um, it just talks about how you live your life and how you go through things, looking for the best in others. You know, the, you know, being as excited about the success of others as you are about your own. You know, being too noble for angry, too brave for for worry. You know, all those different sayings that are in it. Um, but the words that are in the Optimist Creed to me are some of the most important words in terms of the way to think about living your life. And there's nothing really in that that saying that's even about you. It's about how do you treat others and and how do you live a positive life where you think the best, you work for the best, you expect the best. Those are the type of things that are in it. Um, And then you're realistic. And then at the bottom of that particular sheet that I found, someone had wrote handwriting on the bottom. And I I kept this for as long as it's been. I've had it for 25 years. Um, It was a Franklin uh, Roosevelt quote. Which said, if you treat people right 100% of the time, they will treat you right 90% of the time. And uh, for me, that was an important life lesson when you want to treat everyone well and you try to do your best and you try to be your best self. That even during those times when you give your best self, there's still 10% out there that it's not always going to be what you want it to be. Not everyone's going to agree with your mission. Not everyone's going to agree with your vision. Not everyone's going to agree with your personality. Um, And to be at peace with that and to understand that you can, you can be your best self and still not be what everyone wants you to be. You know, you're always going to have your detractors. You're always going to have the the critics that are out there and and learning how to work through those things. And um, I think with each step up the ladder, you know, as you gain and you grow in responsibility and opportunities, you know, there's more critics You know, there's more people out there that might not agree with everything that you're trying to do. So I think, being true to yourself, having great balance, and being enthusiastic about the success of others. Um, my last boss at, at Villanova, Mark Jackson, you know, he had his four F's, you know, his faith, his family, you know, all his priorities in order. I've got to do a better job of my fitness. That's something I got to get back at. <laughs> Pandemic did a, we all do. <laughs> it did a number on me, but uh, but I'm looking forward to that. Those type of things, trying to just be your best self, I think are really important. You know, and that's the kind of parent that I am. That's the type of things I would talk about my mother earlier. Like she was pretty simple, you know, just be the best person you can be. Do the best you can in school and follow your passions. And if you do those things, it's a pretty good life that you can. Oh, without a
0: doubt. You don't have to make it complicated. And if you could hit 90%, I'll take that all day long. Every day. Right. And that that would be phenomenal. Jason, I can't thank you enough. This has been a blast. And. Next time, we'll have to just do X's and O's. That'd be fun. I love that.
1: I love that. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Making an impact in other people's lives is truly grounded in the foundation that it's not about you. It's about others. And it's easy to see why Jason has leaned on the optimist creed for over 25 years as he continues to focus on what type of impact that he can make And not just with wins and losses, but being part of people's successes, no matter how big or small. Now that finishes episode 153. And you can also watch some of our episodes by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at
1: Richtakesports. Thanks for listening.